Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. So by now, you would have probably heard of Bitcoin, even if you haven't used it yourself. It's in the news a lot, right? Although it hasn't found much success as a mainstream transactional currency, it is increasingly used in, well, sadly, scams. And sometime last year, such scams were featured in a hack of uh, prominent Twitter accounts purporting to be former President Obama, Bill Gates and Kanye West. Hackers steered Twitter followers to send $1,000 in Bitcoin or worth of Bitcoin, promising 2000 in return. These scammers managed to draw more than 100000 before the scam was shut down. Now, of course, you hear such news of unauthorized activities with regard to cryptocurrencies, you start to ask yourself, right, the security of digital finance, of digital assets in that sense. How safe are your digital assets? Is there something you can do to protect them? Well, online with me this morning is Stephen Richardson, who is Vice President at Fireblock. Stephen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Nice to meet you. Thanks a lot for taking the time to speak with me. Fireblocks, you guys are a leading enterprise-grade platform delivering a secure infrastructure for moving, storing, and issuing digital assets. What else can you tell us about the company? Yeah, so the company now is three years old. We started in 2018, You know, went live with our first client in 2019. And what we really do is focus with enterprises on how they really can engage in digital assets and providing the infrastructure for them to do so safely and effectively. You know, our, our clients range from large global banks like Bank of New York Mellon to Revolut to trading shops and, and you know, leading technology firms in the digital asset space. Um, and for us, what we've done is really been a partner with our clients as they've grown in this space and learned to really uh, engage in this space overall, um, doing so for now close to 400 clients globally. Okay, so you guys have decided to expand in Asia Pacific with Singapore as your headquarters. What's the rationale behind that? Yeah, so I mean, I think you know Singapore provides a, a number of unique things that I, I think are are really strong in the region. I think the first is regulatory clarity. MAS has has done a good job with things like the Payment Services Act to really engage and, and provide a, a very clear outline for what it means to engage in digital assets here in Singapore. As a technology provider, you know, our job is to really, you know, service and, and provide the right infrastructure to folks that will be, you know, regulated entities and, and, and that clarity is really important. I, I think the second thing is that MAS has been quite engaged with talking with a number of participants in the digital, you know, marketplace around what it means and how regulation will impact the business. And, and they've done so, I think, in a very smart and effective way. And, and I think just that regulatory clarity and I think a steady hand that MAS has, has kind of taken to digital assets has been a really you know, strong thing. And then I think lastly, you know, fintech has been a focus of you know, Singapore as a hub, right? There's yeah. you know, the Fintech Association. There's you know, a, a very clear sense that you know, you know, fintech as, uh, as a space is an important one in Singapore with things like funding, through new grants that, that the government has done here in Singapore. And I think for, for a lot of folks that are looking for, you know, the right talent, that are looking for folks that are reskilling and, or, or retooling and, and, and looking to enter into the digital asset space or into fintech in general, it provides a very attractive environment, you know, although competitive, you know, for folks looking to move into Southeast Asia or APAC in general. Pretty sure, you know, 
the world of digital is not just here to stay, it's going to take over. And we've seen companies embrace things like crypto. Uh, mm-hmm. Tesla, for example, buying 1.5 billion of uh, Bitcoin. Focusing on the popularity of digital assets and, and decentralized finance, could you give us some context of how it looks like in this region? Yeah, so I, I think you know one of the interesting things is you know, Asia or, or the APAC region has always been an engine for growth in digital assets. So if you think about some of the largest digital asset exchanges in the world, they started here or they're based here uh, in, in APAC. And I think it's always been an area where, you know, the market has, you know, evolved quite rapidly. I think in general, you know, markets like Japan with huge FX markets have been digital market hubs, you know, since 2017. And obviously Hong Kong, although, you know, there's some shifting sentiment, has also been a a significant place to, you know, be able to engage in digital assets, both from an innovative perspective or innovation perspective, as well as from a a trading and market perspective. And now we're really seeing that hub, you know, move and shift towards Singapore, given, you know, like I said, the regulatory clarity that that exists here at the moment. So, you know, I I think there's a lot of interest in the space. I think it's still a, a space that continues to grow and emerge. And I think, you know, what are the, the right use cases for, you know, from enterprise or institutional to retail, I think in a lot of ways is still being defined. I think that generally is, is what happens is you kind of see any new mode of working, you know, enter the space and, and start to, you know, receive more uh, adoption from both, you know, institutional investors and from retail investors. Mm, fair enough. It's, it can sometimes look like a bit of a trial and error, but, you know, as a traditional bank, I mean, looking at this situation, what exactly does it mean for these guys? Yeah, so I think most banks are really entering in what are what I see are a set of phases. I, I think the first is the idea of building infrastructure for digital asset custody. So how do I actually hold digital assets, whether or not they are digitally native assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum, or you're tokenizing securities or bonds or private placement paper, and you're putting that on the blockchain. I think the first big step is how do I as a bank support my customers in being able to hold these assets. I think the second, and if you look at, you know, DBS is a great example, is building marketplace infrastructure that's regulated for your clients to be able to buy and sell those digital assets, right? And, and if you think about what that's going to be, it's, it's going to extend even further beyond just the digitally native. You start to look at things like security tokens and, and the fact that you might have different issuance on blockchain, we want, or the bank wants, interoperable infrastructure that can support that clearly and, and, and easily. And then I think the last piece is value-added services, right? So, you know, if you look at, you know, things like Revolut and others, PayPal, payments companies in the space, fintech banks, the, the next piece becomes what are the value-added services that I put on top of custody, I put on top of trading infrastructure to then add revenue and generate revenue for not, not only myself, but for, for customers. And those include things like borrowing and lending of assets. Uh, those include things like you know, staking of assets in, in, a, in a more uh, traditional mechanism and in, in, in a real way. That includes uh, payment channels and, and, and the utilization of you know, stablecoin or different infrastructure to enable payments. Um, and all those things are, are then, you know, what we call ancillary revenue drivers uh, that exist on top of the base infrastructure. So we're generally seeing banks take this, you know, stepwise approach mm. towards engaging in digital. But what, what, what helps that conversation? Is it fair to say that some form of overview type of regulation will help that conversation, will help that planning go a lot smoother? 
Yeah, so I mean, look, regulation is important, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at the U.S., for example, until the OCC guidance came out in the U.S., you weren't seeing a lot of announcements by large U.S. banks that they were going to engage in digital. It was important that basically there was regulatory clarity that said if you are a federally chartered bank, you can hold digital assets as a part of custody under your existing bank license. Okay. And the second that came out, then you saw the likes of J.P. Morgan, you saw Wells Fargo, you've seen others make the announcement that, you know, we are looking or exploring digital assets. And they're starting in an in, in interesting way. They're starting with, you know, high net worth clients, right? Folks that can potentially withstand the volatility, uh, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, et cetera. You know, they're starting there as an initial base. Okay. But, you know, that regulatory clarity has made, you know, things a lot easier for, for them to be able to, to do. And you're seeing the same thing happen in Singapore. You know, DBS would not have engaged in digital assets if MAS didn't necessarily provide the, the clarity for them to do so. So I think that's, you know, step number one. Mm. I think step number two is, you know, banks and their innovation departments are looking at what are, what's going on with fintechs and payment companies, but they're also looking at digitally native companies like BlockFi that, you know, raised 360 plus million dollars. And they're saying, what does the engagement from consumers look like that look like in this particular asset class? I think PayPal said something recently that, you know, 50% of its users that trade uh, or buy Bitcoin look at the PayPal app every single day. That's the kind of user engagement that I think, you know, retail banks that are now competing with fintechs like uh, N26 and, and Revolut and others, you know, they have to pay attention to, right? And they have to say, okay, how does this change uh, my product roadmap? How does this change, you know, the way I am a full service bank? And that's been important, right? So they're, they're paying attention not only to, you know, the regulation as a basis to engage, but also to the changing sentiment by, you know, the type of consumers that they want in the long term to engage in, you know, different or alternative yeah. asset classes that provide value. And that conversation always happens in tandem with the question over security. And I know you guys at Fireblocks have a vested interest in this. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you know, blockchain is a cybersecurity problem, right? Or it's an issue as you think about it, right? It's, yeah. it's completely online. It's decentralized in many ways, right? If you think about the natively digital space. And so it requires a mindset from a cybersecurity perspective to really think about what are all the risks of engaging in this new asset class. I, I think this asset class is extremely interesting because, you know, it, there's a lot of things that get done in this asset class from lending and borrowing and, and all these different uh, financial products that are done in this extremely decentralized way, right? Mm. There's necessarily no, there's not necessarily a single source of control. And, and, you know, there's some points of failure, such as the protocols and DeFi, et cetera. But, you know, you can't go into the markets like you can do to your bank and say, hey, I sent funds to the wrong place, right? Or, yeah. you know, stop this transaction for happening. Once it happens, it's immutable. It's, it can't be, you know, converted back. And so, you know, thinking about that and, and thinking about all the risks of, and the hacking attack risks is, is really important. And for Fireblocks, that represents a, a significant cybersecurity issue. And as kind of cybersecurity experts from our team in Tel Aviv to our founders, you know, they treat it as such. And we think that once you solve the cybersecurity issue, then in a lot of ways, you can then really 
optimize the capital markets use case around digital assets. Yeah, all the different layers that needs to come together here. Something positive, Fireblocks recently announced it raised $133 million in Series C funding. Could you tell us a bit more about it and your plans for the money? Yeah, so that was extremely exciting for the team. Uh, I think, you know, for us, having only been two years out of, you know, our first set of beta customers to kind of achieve that kind of growth was really, really important and really, really exciting. And I think the thing that was the most exciting for us were the type of investors that were brought on board. So, you know, banks like BNY Mellon, Silicon Valley Bank in the U.S., that our banks that help us really engage uh, with large institutions is important. Uh, and we were able to bring in investors like KOTU, uh, which are, are known for being, you know, leading venture firms in the space. I think for us, it's growth is important, right? Yeah, we, we've yeah. grown, you know, quarter over quarter quite rapidly um, and making sure we're able to sustain the right level of customer support for our institutions has been important. Like we, we don't support retail. We support only, you know, institutional clients and the demands from, you know, a people perspective, from a technology perspective are, are significant. And so, you know, that is, you know, been a factor of, of the growth. I think the second thing is to let people know that we're staying in this game for, for the long term. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, with the acquisition of you know, other competitors in the space like BitGo uh, and Curve to PayPal, uh, there's always been a question of do I build it myself or do I partner and, and buy it? And I think, you know, question, that question, you know, is, is something that we face all the time. You know, will you be acquired? Do we build our entire infrastructure on top of, you know, a firm like Fireblocks only for Fireblocks to be acquired a few, you know, a year or two later? And then we have to restart this infrastructure journey. And for us, raising that kind of capital, I think, signified to the market or signal to the market that we are going to be there for, for the long term. So mm. that, that became important. And then hiring, you know, in places like APAC and, yeah. and expanding here, uh, you know, funds will be used to to really make sure that we have a, a world-class team to provide the service to to our clients here in this region. Uh, Stephen, I, I think it squeeze out a little bit more time, but I got an interesting question for you, and, and I'd like to get your perspective very quickly. With regard to the trend of cryptocurrency in this part of the world, I mean, can cryptocurrency displace gold? I mean, we saw how people turned to it as a safe haven asset, but at the same time, there are always question marks because you see the kind of volatility that it brings. Uh, what are your closing thoughts on this? Yeah, look, I, I think there's right now sentiment impact, you know, uh, the prices of digital assets quite significantly. But I do think that there are more institutional investors that are coming into the space. We're seeing more managers, large hedge funds uh, and leading institutions that will, you know, that are coming into the space and are, are bringing, I think, more of a, methodical, not necessarily <laughs> news and media driven approach, right? Okay. Which is what we see from a, a lot of the, the retail segment, right? And mm-hmm. I think as that happens, it's and their, their approaches around how they engage or people engage in digital assets, you know, become more solidified, I, I think we'll start to see that volatility decrease quite significantly. So, you know, I, I think as more people really come in, as there's, again, more clarity in the market from regulators in terms of engaging, I think the level of volatility that we've seen uh, will start to reduce and, and make it, you know, an asset class that people can actually uh, use as a hedge for, for, for kind of their trading purposes. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I've been speaking with Stephen Richardson, who is Vice President of Fireblocks. Thank you for your time. Take care and stay safe. Thanks for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.